0: Now listen to No Truths. Welcome back to a brand new episode of No. No Truce Bard, the best up and coming podcast on the internet, and I am your host Hoikoweku Timmons. And once again, I want to thank you for joining me for this week's episode of No Truce Bard. And if you've missed any of the previous fifty-one episodes, those episodes can be found on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Yes, your man is expanding. I am on all of those particular streaming services and. I would like to thank everybody for who has decided to share a piece of content, who's provided a piece of constructive criticism, or we'll just overall rock with the show, click a like button. I definitely do not take any of it for granted. And also, if you are not following me on social media, let me repeat that again. If you are not following me on social media then make sure you follow me at Hoyt, H-O-Y-T underscore K-W-A-K-U underscore Timmons. That's T-I-M-M-O-N-S. And also, I have a new page as well that's available only on Instagram. I'm contemplating... Uh, making a, a page, uh, an equivalent page on Twitter or Facebook. But on Instagram, that particular page is underscore to the left. So underscore no truth barred. Make sure you follow that particular page because I really want to start to segue to that page and really blow that page up and be one of those uh, social media influencers, podcasters that have like 50, 100,000 people following a particular page. So once again, thank you, thank you, and thank you. Listen, let's 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 jump straight in. Episode 52. We're going to get straight to the point. We recently had a a huge presidential election. If you've been living under a rock, that is the only way you do not know what is going on. I will not accept any other excuses uh, if you say, oh, well, who was elected? Anyway, and in addition to the presidential election, make sure you elect and you know who your senators are, your delegates, who your council people are, or in certain cities, your aldermen, know who your mayor is. Because a lot of times we focus on the presidential election, but make sure you know uh, who your senators are. Because... Whomever your candidate is, they're not going to be able to get a lot done if the opposing party uh, controls the House and or Senate and or both, uh, God forbid. So make sure you pay attention to those smaller races, but they're equally as important when it comes to what sorts of policies are going to affect you. But uh, episode 52, this is this is a personal episode. This is an episode where I want to vent. I want to give my perspective on the past four years which I feel has been some of the most turbulent four years in this particular country um this 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 the past four years under this particular president Donald J Trump has had a corrosive effect on this country now that's not to say that systemic racism did not exist prior to Donald Trump That's not to say that police brutality did not exist prior to Donald Trump. That's not to say that banks being racist against black people that want to start businesses was not around prior to Donald Trump. That's not to say that acts of senseless murder against black people was not around prior to Donald Trump. That's not to say that the vitriol of racism was not around prior to Donald Trump. There was a clip that's going around on social media, and I don't know the gentleman's name, so please forgive me. But I believe this gentleman is an anchor. It's not Van Jones. I know who Van Jones is. But this particular gentleman, I believe he's a pundit or some sort of anchor on CNN. And he made a beautiful, compelling, emotionally invoking point about the what we perceive as the uh, emboldening of racism and racists under the Trump administration. And one of the things that he actually highlighted that was very true, and it actually is going to lead to a particular point that I want to make in this particular podcast, and the point that he made is that the preponderance of of, of, of caustic hate that really began to flourish under President Trump, you can actually go back and tie it to the Tea Party that formed under President Obama. Because they stated that they want to take their country back. That their country is being stolen. That the values, the very pillars of what America stands for is being disintegrated under this new administration, which back then would have been under President Barack Obama. So now let's take that particular snapshot. Okay, the snapshot is this, the Tea Party, they want to take back the country. they're losing the country. They want to get back they want to get the country back to its core values. Now now don't forget that. Don't forget that. So now we're going to take that little synopsis of the Tea Party and let's bring it all the way up to 2016. If you bring that synopsis of the Tea Party all the way up to 2016, then guess what you get? Make America great again. OK. That's a bold statement. Make America great again. Now, also, please, people, if you're listening to this, don't forget the Tea Party side. OK, make America great again in contrast with some of the uh, the, the ideology of the Tea Party. So then the question has to become, what is being stolen? What does the country have to get back to? Okay? Now, how do you want to look at that? What what is your perspective on that? Excuse me, I'm slapping the mic around getting hype because Trump is out of office. But I'm, I have some words for the new the new administration as well. So they're not going to be left off the hook in this particular podcast tonight. But what are we getting back to? What's being stolen? Now, I'm putting that question out there. for For me, that's a rhetorical question. I know exactly what it means. I know exactly what they want to get back to. I know exactly what the impetus for that sort of rhetoric is. What you're saying is, is that Anglo-Saxon ideals, Anglo-Saxon customs, and more specifically, Anglo-Saxon men at the head of industry, at the head of politics, at the head of business, is what you want to get back to. Now, in that particular epoch of our country's history, and, and and honestly, honestly, I can't point out one particular epoch because that statement is so ambiguous. Because what particular period am, am I looking at? And then if you're saying make America great again, who is it great for? You have to have, you have to specify that. Because if you don't specify that, I'm a historian, so I have to go into the bag of how was America for black people? How was America for Hispanic people? And that's actually not a, a good word. I shouldn't even be using that word. So I want to take that back. Um, how's America for people from Latino countries? Or Latin countries, excuse me. Pardon me, folks. I'm getting too, I'm getting, I'm getting a little too into this. How is America for women? How is America for people that would have been classified under the, uh, the LGBT umbrella? See where I'm going with this? Now, I look at Donald Trump and I've read, I remember reading this somewhere and and I felt this particular quote was so on the, the head and it stated that Donald Trump, excuse me, Barack Obama represented the America that we want and could be. And Donald Trump represents America how it really is. Now, the big problem with that is, is herein lies the problem is that we've never atoned for slavery as a society. We've never atoned for Jim Crow. We never discussed what are the gener- generational effects of centuries-long oppression for a specific group in this country. So to me, when you say make America great again, to me, when you say that the country is being stolen from you because it just so happens to be a black man in the White House, what you're saying to me, this is the only way I can interpret that. The only way that I can interpret that is that great America, great America, in your opinion, in your opinion, is a white America. Great America, in your opinion, is an America with Eurocentric hegemony. That is America at its, at its apex to you. Donald Trump <clears throat> is a result of Barack Obama. Let me explain how. W.B. Du Bois, he has a quote, and, and I love to quote it, and I, and I just revere W.B. Du Bois, really the, the first American sociologist. I'm not even saying black, you know, it, it, sociologist, intellectual to the T, in addition to being a historian and a sociologist he also taught greek and latin i mean to call him a a great mind would be an understatement but one of the thing one of the, the quotes from him that i love and and i feel that it encapsulates exactly what It encapsulates exactly what the presidency of Barack Obama pushed this country to. And it encapsulates perfectly what Donald Trump is and what he embodies. And this is the quote. The quote is this. Either. Either America will destroy its ignorance or ignorance will destroy America. I want you to let that particular quote marinate. And I actually mentioned this uh, on the previous podcast that I had with uh, the great um, Sean Lennon, powerful brother. It was it was a great podcast. So definitely go check out uh, episode 51 and make sure you follow him as well and, and purchase his music, support independent artists. I'm going to take a quick swig of water. Because I, I, I'm, I'm preaching up here tonight. Or this morning, whatever you hear this or listen to this particular episode. <clears throat> no truce barred. Have to get some water in. But think about that particular quote. Now, this is where I want to tie everything together. So when you're looking at President Barack Obama and when he leaves office and and. He ignited these people that were in the Tea Party. The fervent outpouring for Donald Trump is a direct is direct retribution, direct uh, uh, answer to America surrounding and getting around Barack Obama. Masses of racist people came out to vote for Donald Trump. Now, I'm not going to say that constitutes all of his constituency, but definitely many, many of his constituents are people that simply did not like Barack Obama because he's a black man. And their issue and their perspective on making America great means having power that's Anglo-Saxon based. But the, but the funny part is this. This is the funniest part about racism. And this is um, and I'm not going to say I'm the first to put this out here because I feel like it's kind of a common sense idea. And and I'm certain that other people would have to have, have came to the same conclusion. But when I look at racism, this is the irony in it or not even really irony. That That's that's the wrong word. I would say something to notice. And you know what? I keep saying I don't want to give a history lesson, but I am. Briefly, you can go back and you can look at Shays' Shays' Rebellion. You can look at Bacon's Rebellion. But more so, specifically, Bacon's Rebellion. When you had uh, Nathaniel Bacon, along with Black and White uh, Indigenous Servants, I think by that time, though, black people would have been considered slaves um, by that particular point, because I think that was 1676 or 1667. And I think John Punch was a little bit earlier, maybe 1641, as in he was, I think he was the, the gentleman that was in, one of the first people that were punished by being enslaved for life. So when you look at that rebellion, you had a myriad of people that wanted to overthrow the tyranny of the Virginia governor at that time. And after the rebellion was put down, one of the things that had to be done, you had to find a way to buffer poor white people from connecting with enslaved black people. And what's what's the way to do that? Well, one of the ways, and this. And and I and I want to say this. This is not like a group of men sat in a room and was like, "Let's use racism." No, 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 no. It's a lot of different variables, but that was the outcome. To placate your poor white class through the through the um, through the modality of racism is how you placate them, and also. You can feed them lies and delusion delusions that they're actually ahead or better than their black counterparts, because one of the things that happened in America, unlike anywhere else in the world, is that especially like during the 1790s, when a lot of European immigrants would have started coming to this country, one of the things that you could do if you were coming from Europe is that you could actually buy your way in and come and, in and, and, and uh Acquiesce into and and assimilate rather assimilate into the concept of whiteness. This is really the first time in history that you kind of find the concept of whiteness being like a real thing. And the concept of whiteness is really what protect protected the uh the aristocracy. Because after slavery ended. Um, and I know I'm kind of going on the tangent right now. Really, after slavery ended, uh, it kind of gave more opportunity to regular white people. Because you got to remember all of the people that were, uh, um, you know, the founding fathers, if you will, huge, massive slave owners. And then you had different forms of slavery and whatnot. But point being is that, the part about racism that i feel is is so overt but yet so many of us don't understand it is that it's a tool it's a tool to protect the wealthy because you got to keep in mind george washington in his day would not have seen himself on the same level as a white person in his day that did not have that wasn't landed and did not have wealth i think i read that George Washington's net worth in today's economy would be somewhere a little under $500 million. I think Thomas Jefferson's net worth um, in today's economy would have been somewhere around the neighborhood of like $180 million. Uh, The Thomas Jefferson one, I'm not as certain on that. So we have a perennial issue in this country where you have, disenfranch- you have disenfranchised wage slaves, quasi-indenture servants, a.k.a. white people like the rest of us. A lot of us are, are wage slaves, quasi-indenture servants. If you have a mortgage or a car note or student loan debt, you are working to pay that off. That is why you are working. And aside from... The scraps and the delusion of racism, you really don't have much tangible to show for this quote unquote uh, white supremacy or, or or white people being ahead or better. Some of the racist things that people say, like, you know, uh, certain scientific innovations came from white people. It came from a person. It didn't come from white people. Just because a person that has a phenotype like you create something that's innovative you can't by proxy just take claim of that but this is some of the rhetoric that you'll get from racists like you're not james watt you're not sir isaac newton the people around sir isaac newton wasn't sir isaac newton the people around nikola tesla was not nikola tesla that was him You just happen to look like that guy, but that doesn't mean that you have the same aptitudes as him. Let me get back on topic here. Racism has been, it was, and will continue to be a way for disenfranchised white people who don't really own anything to stay compliant. To fall in line, to not truly begin to question the turpitude of this system and the plutocracy that truly that we all live under at the moment. And that's what that that's how race is beneficial, even if a lot of people think that they just feel that way and think that this is just how I look at the world and think that this is just the, the operation of things. You're still a tapestry of socialization and the people around you. You still regurgitate rhetoric, misinformation, miseducation that you received. And it's great for establishment because it keeps masses of your population from questioning too much. Now, let me tie that back to Trump. Trump knew, I'm not going to say he knew this, I'm not going to say that, but Trump, I think, in seeing the, the the masses of people that support the GOP, to see a lot of their rhetoric, like for example, there's an old video you can go back and look up on YouTube, and it's a video of John McCain when he's running against uh, Barack Obama in the first election, I believe the 2007 uh, election, if you will, and when you look at this particular video, John McCain is actually in the audience and he's asking, he's, excuse me, he's answering questions that people have. And one lady actually got up and, 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 and John McCain gave her the microphone. And when he gave her the microphone, essentially she stated that she didn't like Barack Obama because he was an Arab. And John McCain, being the, the upright gentleman that he is, quickly, quickly, you know, got that sort of statement out of here. He stated that Barack Obama was a decent man. They just have a difference of opinion on policy. And he stumped that out. There's actually another video as well when John McCain loses to Barack Obama and he decides to concede and he gives a concession speech and the people start to boo him. Now, why do I bring this up? Because these are your same people that would have rolled over and became tea baggers. These are your same people that will roll over and become the MAGA people. That seed was there. Donald Trump warded it with the whole birther issue and the question that the legitimacy of Barack Obama is he a citizen? Was he born in Kenya? And even after... A birth certificate was supplied. He tried to still claim that it was fraudulent. So that that sort of disposition, that sort of perspective was there. And what Donald Trump did is he grabbed it and he warded it and he helped it to flourish. The Donald Trump presidency. And I'm not going to say that America had such a a a, a a a spotless moral compass prior to pre- to uh, Donald J. Trump becoming president. I'm not even going to assert that because that's not even real. But what I will say is what he did with his presidency. He pulled back the fact that we have a problem with xenophobia, racism, and all out. Hatred and that these people have been lurking and waiting in the shadows to be to be able to have that time to come out and to express their unadulterated hatred and racism with no trepidations. And Donald Trump was the facilitator of that sort of environment. Whatever semblance of a moral compass this country did have. His presidency desecrated that moral compass. His presidency caused more division than any other presidency in the history of this country. And Donald Trump, listen, he was not just a racist now, but no. Let's not forget about the Central Park Five. Keep them in mind, the five young black men that were falsely accused of raping a jogger running through uh, Central Park. He refused to give an apology to the Central Park Five because this man spent $85,000 on an ad. It was May 1st, 1989. Donald Trump, he took out an ad in the New York Times. The ad was, bring back the death penalty, bring back our police. And he stood with that. Despite these five young men having their lives ruined, he stood by it. And even now that we have the evidence that they did not commit the crime, he still refuses to apologize. Oh, do we need more? You go back to the 70s. Donald Trump and his father were sued for racial discrimination at Trump housing developments. It's the truth. I saw an interview um, with one of his former... I don't know if it was like... uh, It wasn't an accountant. I'm sorry. It was... um, It was not an account. Okay, it was the former president of his of one of his casinos, this guy by the name of John O'Donnell. And he actually stated that uh, Trump actually found out that there was like a, a black accountant handling the money and whatnot for the casino and, you know, covering the books. And according to O'Donnell, he stated that he did not feel comfortable with a black running his books. And that he thought that black people were lazy, but that's their natural—excuse me, I have my mustache hair getting in my mouth. But anyway, Trump stated that he he felt that uh, black people were lazy, but they couldn't help it because that's their na- uh, their natural state. Hmm. Let's look at his presidency: constant refusal to denounce white supremacists. Let's go back to August of 2017, when hundreds of far-right extremists came to Charlottesville to protest the removal of a Confederate statue. At this march, at this march, you had neo-Nazis, you had alt-right groups, you had white nationalists, you had Klansmen that sparked violence That led to the death, I believe, of one person. Damaged property. And they, the white supremacists, were the instigators of the chaos in Charlottesville. And they were planning on coming here to Richmond, uh, to to Monument Avenue, but thank God our mayor, uh, well, he's our mayor again, shout out to uh, Mayor Stoney. He did not allow that to happen. But guess what? (laughs) our Commander-in-Chief stated when asked about the danger, the violence, the chaos, the damage of property led by the alt-right groups, the white nationalists, the neo-Nazis. He kept pointing to Antifa. But this is, it's not even shocking for me because I expect it coming from Trump. But when asked to to condemn the actions of what happened in Charlottesville, when asked to speak out against these white supremacist groups, 45 said there were fine people on both sides. Okay, so you follow what I'm saying here. This man has a a pattern and a history of racism. He took he took what was kind of a a a, 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 a loose configuration of hatred and and straggler uh, ultra white. Ultra-right White supremacist organizations And his rhetoric just Ossified those sorts of groups Emboldened them to come out And be even more vocal with their hatred There was even videos of people throwing up The Hell Hitler signs At Trump's rallies At his rallies people were getting attacked His presidency made it okay for a president to be uncouth. It made it okay for a president to be a bully, to be a to be a racist, to be a xenophobe. How do we even look at children and tell them to have manners, to have empathy, to look at things from the perspective of the other person and say, hey, Don't treat people like... Don't treat those... Excuse me. Don't treat individuals in a manner in which you would not like to be treated when our old president is doing it. He called Haiti and and, and a few other African countries shithole countries. Anybody, any black person that was murdered by the police, he would not speak to the situation directly. And something else which includes black people, but it's not relegated to black people, is the imposing of the travel ban in 2017 Well, he had that uh, that executive order to temporarily suspend immigration uh, to the U.S. for for people from uh, Iraq and Iran and Syria and Somalia and Libya. And I believe Yemen as well. Which includes black and brown. Well, yeah, black and brown countries. This is the president. We have a lot of, of re- rebuilding to do as far as the morale of this country and I think one of the most shocking things with this most with this most recent election is that when you look at the election, how close it was yeah, overwhelming uh, over an overwhelming amount of people turned out. but the fact that with everything I listed, the fact that this is a president, and, and the audio came out that as far back as February, he knew the dangers of this particular virus. He knew how rapid it could spread. But in lieu of that, He decided to not give the public that information, claiming that he didn't want to cause panic. It's not causing panic. It's giving the the public the information that they need so that they can properly protect themselves. And not only did he suppress that information and not actually provide the public with the information that we need, that that possibly could have prevented the 235,000 deaths that we now have due to COVID-19. But he also got on TV and made fun of people for wearing masks. He even made fun of Joe Biden for wearing a mask. A mask, excuse me. (laughs) And now, because of his inane uh, rhetoric and statements that he's made, you have people even now, despite the head of the CDC coming out and saying, the, the ways that uh, masks can stop the spread of COVID, you have people now, and I truly believe it's because of Donald Trump, that even right now are still not going to put on a mask. And they're not going to put on a mask because they've internalized the things that Donald Trump has said and believe them to be correct. And it supersedes the research from scientists and various virologists, and epidemiologists. They take the word of a reality TV star over credible scientists. And we still are suffering from the effects of that today. Look at the fact that right now, I think in in Trump's... uh, Actually today, Ben Carson was uh, tested positive for COVID-19. Look at all of the people around Trump that have caught COVID that are are anti-masks. At the rally he had in Oklahoma, Herman Cain showed up, didn't wear a mask, died, I, I believe, like a few weeks later. This man is so much of a narcissist That he's willing to jeopardize the lives of many just to prove a point. He's willing to misinform people just to prove a point. And people are so foolish that they will actually go out here and follow what he's recommending to people. What would have happened... If the pandemic response unit that Barack Obama put together was never dismantled, how would we have been able to handle this pandemic? He dismantled the pandemic response team. It was a a, a team that Obama had put together after the Ebola outbreak. How how could this thing have been remedied? When you want to rule like an autocrat, you don't seek counsel. You make decisions based upon your limited perspective and your limited knowledge. But Trump doesn't care. He has palsy with the way he thinks. He, his, 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 his narrow view and limited knowledge, according to him, is just enough. It's all he needs to govern. But he'll take your opinion if you massage his ego, if you tell him things he wants to hear, then he wants to hear your opinion. Sorry, I got to take another supporter. Take another supporter. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, but Trump, Trump's presidency it represents a dark spot on this country's history. It, it and then I think the 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 only good thing I could say that came out of the Trump presidency. Is that I think, it uh, not even I think, but I know, it uncovered the fact that, true indeed, we are not a post-racial society. We have a deep, embedded problem of racism, and it affects us all. And as a country, we're never going to be able to move forward unless we truly address racism on every single level. So, if we want to attack racism from the perspective of an ideology, of why you perceive superiority based upon phenotype, that's an ass. Oh, I almost knocked the mic down again. I'm getting too hype on this episode tonight. But anyway. <laughs> That's one of the things that we have to address. We have to address the fact that racism affects us from every level. So one one particular angle that racism affects us in is that it it, it allows us to define Value based on phenotype. And then as as black people, we've grown up to be in in, in a state of of low self-esteem of perceiving ourselves as being the natural perennial other that we look outside to eurocentrically based uh, uh, ideologies, phenotypes, ways of dress, discourse, discussion to be the standard or the barometer for proper uh, behavior. And because of that, we're affected by racism and we internalize it and we carry out waste, racist ways in looking at each other and, intera- and interacting with one another. That's one aspect of racism. That's a problem. Another aspect of it is systemically. Systemically, what are things that have happened in this country to further the gap or the uh, excuse me what things have happened systemically in this country to further the wealth gap between black people and every other group we have to look at redlining we have to look at the fact that at one point in the 20s the federal government was not going to allow banks Realtors to provide money or try to provide loans to black people that wanted to buy housing This adversely affected The 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 wealth gap ratio between black people and every other group specifically white Americans We have to address the issue that banks disproportionately Charge higher interest rates on black loans black car notes black credit cards. This is a thing So we have the ideological and we have the systemic. We have the police brutality. And like I've said many times before, when you look at the origins of law enforcement in this country, you can trace it back to the 1700s in South Carolina, where a lot of the the, the organizations that would become police started from your slave patrols. And the same thing could be said in these cities in the North and in the Midwest. A lot of times police were used to make sure that Black people had limited access, were forced to live in in dilapidated housing, and live in a state of penury. That's how police operated in these northern cities at the turn of the 20th century. So we have to address that. And the presidency of Donald Trump has showed us the true girth of everything racist that we have chosen to ignore as a country. And because we chose to ignore it, it only got worse. If you choose to ignore the symptoms of of a disease, your ignorance isn't automatically going to be synonymous with the cure. Your ignorance will only let the disease grow and fester and infect more parts of the body. And that's what the disease of racism has done in this country. And Donald Trump has ripped off that particular cloth, that very, very fragile cloth, if you will, that tried to cover that that try to make us believe that because we had a black president in office that we were good and we are made it because we see black celebrities and black billionaires that everything is good. No, it's, it's not. Not at all. It's far from it. I love what Will Smith said. Um, I think it was Will Smith. And if he did not say this, please correct me, folks. But I love what Will Smith said I'm gonna credit Will Smith with this I love what Will Smith said as it relates to police brutality and he said that it's not that more police brutality is happening it's that it's always been there it's just getting filmed more now it's always been there it's just getting filmed more now That's what he did. And there've been people like Ice Cube that have spoken about um a contract with black America. I saw a video of Diddy recently and Diddy was speaking about creating a black political party. And I'm not against any of those particular things. I just think for me is that we have four years, four years of what I consider a tyrannical presidency, a a presidency based upon idiotic behavior and counterproductive policies and doing dumb shit like taking us from the Paris Agreement, you know? <laughs> and so in four years, I just have to wonder why none of our uh, our Black leaders, I guess maybe they kind of would consider themselves that. I'm not sure if that's how they look at themselves. I just wonder why the silence, where was everyone at? Now, You've you've always had people that, and let me shout shout them out. You've always had people that were actively out here. Like uh, for example, Immortal Technique, Killer Mike, David Banner, who don't they don't let the you know they don't let the foot off the gas. They they stay out here. So if you if you follow them on social media, you can see and I and I'll throw Ti in that mix too. If you follow any of these four guys on social media. You know, you're constantly seeing them. They're doing speaking engagements that they're, they're providing vital, critical insight into this political system. They're doing tangible things like, um, helping other people, uh, 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 as far as like, you know, find trades. They, they, uh, do programs where they feed, you know, certain, uh, neighborhoods that, uh, may have food deserts. They do a, a whole lot. So they've been out here, um, Pardon me. So they've been out here, and so with Cube, I just kind of wonder. And, and that's not to say that I don't. I'm not disagreeing with uh, Cube. What I'm saying is that I think that this could have been done a lot earlier. But let's say this though, and I want to kind of sh- well before I, I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back. I want to circle back, but I'm going to kind of switch gears briefly. And like I said, I don't want to hold you guys too long because I try to keep these things to an hour. <clears throat> but when I when I listen to. um uh, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> Look, this is what happens when you when you record podcasts, you get really, really uh, passionate. But anyway, back, I want to segue to this particular point. People bring up the 1994 crime bill with Joe Biden, with Kamala Harris. They will bring up her. It um, will bring up her time spent as a DA. They will bring up you know a lot of people that were arrested on minor marijuana charges. You know under her time serving. And I get it, and I understand it. You know. And those things are a concern to me, but I also, you also, whenever you make a critique like that, you have to provide context as to what were the things going on in society. And I'm not trying to justify it before you go there, but what were the things going on in society in the early nineties, late eighties that may prompt a, a person to sign a crime bill? And that's another topic for another podcast. I really don't want to get into that tonight. Or looking at Kamala Harris's record. But let me tell you what I'm more concerned about. And this is going to tie to my brother Ice Cube. I remember two things with Kamala Harris. I remember in this, this was probably at the very start of the Democratic primaries. And I remember Kamala Harris was being interviewed and someone asked her, how do you feel potentially being uh, the first black woman president or no, no, excuse me. Do you consider yourself a black woman? And I remember Kamala Harris's response verbatim. She stated, I am Jamaican. And I'm Indian. I am an American. Yeah, I get it. She went to HBCU. I understand. But that that response kind of caught me. And and you fast forward when she was announced as uh, Biden's running mate. Now, in a lot of articles, she's the first black woman V.P. Whereas she didn't identify as that, it seems, until she became the running mate for Joe Biden. Okay? Hold that point. I want you to hold on to that. Hold on to what I just said about what Kamala said when she was asked about whether or not she was a black woman. Just hold on to that. Let me move over to Biden. Biden had an interview with Charlemagne the God. And... I can't remember the way the question was phrased, but Joe Biden's response essentially was that if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Now, he he may have tried to phrase that as a joke, but to me, I didn't take that as a joke. Okay, now we have what Kamala said and we have what Biden said. Now, let's go back to Q with the contract with black America. So we have these three things working. This, I, I juggle a lot of ideas in my mind. My mind is really super active and analytical, like twenty-four-seven. So when you look at those three things, right? Very much, very well—not the the contract, but t- the two things I'm pointing out. Just you know, not saying it's a huge thing, but I just want you to take notice of it. Those statements to me, those statements to me, when we look at the fact that Stacey Abrams was responsible for over 800,000 people, I believe, becoming registered voters in the state of Georgia. Those statements to me, when Joe Biden was losing to Bernie Sanders in the primaries, but it was South Carolina and the black vote that brought him back. Those statements say to me. When you look at how Biden came back in this election after Tuesday night, where was it happening at primarily in highly uh highly populated urban centers via the black vote. Those statements say to me that with that and with the fact that the black vote has consistently been the the backbone for the Democratic Party. What that says to me is that we know we got your vote. We really don't have to do anything for you. We know that we have your vote. Come hell or high water, we can lean on African American people for their vote, and they're going to give it to us. And we don't really have to reciprocate much in return in order to get that particular vote. And when I hear those statements from Kamala Harris and Joe Biden like that, to me, that's what it's saying. It's saying that Black America, you're supposed to vote for us because you're a Democrat. Excuse me, you're supposed to vote for us because you're Black. Black America. We're Democrats, you're black, and you owe us your vote. And we really don't plan on giving you anything tangible in return for your vote. Just accept our pandering to you. Just accept the fact that I came to your church and did a photo op. Just accept the fact that I wore Chuck Taylors and Jordans and Tims and posted up. Or I met with Jay-Z. Or just accept the fact that I came to a rib shack and posed with a, a side of coleslaw and some ribs. That should be enough for your vote. That's what that's saying to me. And here's where the black contract of America, whatever he wants to call it, comes in. Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, the black vote via the work of black women and, and black men came through and saved the Democratic Party once again. And you all have to sit down with us and you all have to work with us. To fix the gross disparity economically in these communities, in these urban centers that black people are greatly affected by. We have to fix the fact that, that banks have racist policies to charge higher interest rates on black borrowers. We have to attack that head on. We have to attack mass incarceration. We have to expunge marijuana charges. If we're going to legalize it, if we're going to decriminalize it, we also have to to help the people that have been victimized by racist marijuana policies. And if we're not going to do that, then you take our vote for granted. And we have to stop coming out and showing up for the Democratic Party. And we did it this time. And I did it. I voted for Joe Biden. Because I'm sick of Donald Trump, but I gave you my vote. Black Americans came through and they saved the Democratic Party once again, and we need something tangible in return. We can't have photo ops and empty promises no more. We want equality and equity. We don't want to be ahead of anyone else. We just want to have an equal seat at the table. I'm not trying to fight for equality of outcome. We just want the same opportunities, and we don't have them, and the Democratic Party never delivers. So when I'm calling on all black people, everybody that went out and voted for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, link with your local community activists, know who your council person is, know who your senators are, and as black America, we have to come up with a list of things that we want out of this presidency. And it's not to be racist, because I don't believe in racism. Like I said, racism does not, it doesn't have anything scientific to stand on. No other group is better than another based on phenotype. You cannot prove that is It's not true. So I don't deal with the whole, I'm you know, this group is inferior to that group. I don't deal with that. That's not my bag. I don't do that. But we have to, we have to address the fact of, The state of black America economically due to slavery, due to uh, redlining, due to um, uh, uh, systemic issues, um, Jim Crow, all of these various things that have led to the current state of black America. And these things were done at a federal level and state level to disproportionately limit the opportunities of black America. And I am not saying, you know, to a degree, I am pro reparations, but I have a different view on that. I think that I'm not I don't know if I'm a fan of people just receiving money. I I think it could be done in a manner that's actually going to have a lasting effect to help out the black community. And so I say, yeah, Joe Kamala, we chose you. We chose you. We're behind you. We want you guys to win, but you can't keep ignoring us and then expect us to, to consistently come through and save you when it's election time. The Democratic Party has overtly helped undocumented immigrants. The Democratic Party has overtly done things for the LGBT community. DACA, the Dreamers, And I'm not saying that it shouldn't happen. But when it's crunch time, when it gets real, when you need help, you lean on that black vote. That's where you go to. And you've been doing it for decades. Now it's time that we get something reciprocated for all of the effort and all of the help. And I wanted to speak to that about the Democratic Party. But in closing, it's a blessing that Donald Trump has been removed. I think it's good for the morale and the psyche of this country. All he did was to promote divisive behavior and rhetoric. He supported white supremacist groups. Not to mention, he has rape cases pending against him. He has several other court cases. Um, he tried, you know, he tried to uh, withhold funding uh, or, for, or money, excuse me from the Ukraine because they would not assist him in trying to dig up dirt on Joe Biden and his son, Hunter Biden. This man actually advocated for people to go and vote twice, which is a felony. And yeah, technically the president does not have to show their tax returns, but every politician's been doing it except for a few here and there. I think Ralph Nader didn't show his tax returns, but he should. But, you know, we found out that uh, he, so far, I think in the past 10 years, he's only paid $750 in taxes. So he doesn't care about our tax system. He doesn't uh, uh, care about our constitution. He doesn't care about uh, just simple decency and empathy. He is a black mark on this country's history. He's a disgrace to the office of president. And furthermore, he made America a laughing stock around the world. But I hope America that we we take heed and, and we really learn a lot from this from this Trump presidency, and we learn how dangerous racist vitriol is, and how racism and ignorance led us down a road of destruction that we that. If, if he had gotten a second term, we may not have been able to come back from because we're in a recession at the moment. I hope that the Biden-Harris presidency were truly able to heal as a country. I hope that we're able to develop understanding of one another. I hope we can begin to have real concrete, pragmatic ways to address racism in this country. And I hope that the Democratic Party doesn't turn their back on Black people once again after they've gotten our vote. This has been episode 52 of No Truths Barred, and I want to thank you for joining me again. And make sure to follow me on, on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Hoyt, H-O-Y-T, underscore Kawaku K-W-A-K-U, underscore Timmons, that's T-I-M-M-O-N-S. And also follow my new page, underscore, No Truths Bard Podcast. Much love, y'all. Take care and peace.